Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you want to visit iTunes or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcast, rate, review, subscribe, and even share the show. Helps me out. Leave me a little something like a little message about oregano or Domino's Pizza or how Papa John's is evil. Thanks for checking out Out of the Blank Podcast. You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Lainey. Hi. How are you? I'm doing all right, Lainey. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, okay, so I'm actually, by my profession, I'm a carpenter, um, a union carpenter, and I'm actually more of a superintendent now. Um, when I was in college, I was studying to be an archaeologist, and I was working on some grad school stuff specifically in the Salem witch trial and in witch trials in general. Um, and I wound up not pursuing that any further because just financially and workload wise, it was too much for me to do that and maintain a full-time job. So I gave it up and just this year, I just keep kind of thinking about it, especially with everything going on in the world. And I kind of, I was going to go back to school. I kind of did like a, Yale has these open courses things that are online. Um, and basically you audit a course. And I did that as to see if I could fit that into my, my work schedule. And I can't. And so I kind of gave up this idea of like maybe pursuing something more in the field of history or archaeology. Um, and I, basically decided to start a blog instead and just do the independent research on my own and just try and put out as much information out there and basically write the dissertation I would have written in my yeah. graduate work on what, my own now. What what was the secret interest in like the Salem Witch Trials? Because I think everyone kind of knows a bit about what it is, but nobody knows like the real stories that are ensued inside of it. Like you know, just listening to my buddy's podcast, and his name's Ian McGlynn, does a Why Whiskey podcast, and they're talking about all these crazy things. Like, I knew some stuff about, you know, the Salem witch trials. Like, a lot of the people they killed weren't witches. and mm -hmm. But reading the actual, like, stories of, like, certain people and, the, like, what, like, there was a priest that they killed and apparently one of the things was like the Salem witches couldn't recite the Lord's prayer, especially the part about trespassing and the priests did it. And then they were like, oh, well, he's still a witch. We're going to, we're going to burn him." I'm like, basically, it's weird to see how society has shifted to where back in the day you would be killed if you were a witch. Now you're on Instagram and there's like 80,000 people saying they are witches and all these other types of things. You're like, what, like, Back in the day, if you would have came out as a witch, you would have been killed. You would have been thrown, you know, tied to the waist with a rope. You know, they would throw you right into the water because if you floated, you uh, you were a witch. And apparently because the water was supposed to be holy, um, seen as this healing element. And then next thing you know, all these people were sinking like, must have been a dud. It's like, hang on a second. You just murdered an innocent life. Like, eventually it would lead to like how we're dealing with now where people are like tattletailing on other people for not following Corona rules or whatever you want to call it. It's like people were snitching out on their neighbor saying they're a witch just to get rid of the neighbor. It's like how many people were killed because they didn't cut their lawn properly or something. Right. Um, I sort of equate it to cancel culture today where people will mine your entire social media platform from 15 years ago to like catch one innocuous comment you made that doesn't sort of follow the political correctness model we have. And then they just like blast that out to the world to try and destroy your life. And it, it kind of feels, I, it kind of feels like that's the vein of what we have. That's the version of witch hunting that we have today. You know, um, we're still transferring, trying to burn people at the stake. Or still, right. we're still trying to do that, just not as, I guess, um, more on like the social media platform, which leads right. into like, 
it's more of mental damage than it is physical. Back in the day, it was like, you know, physical, you get cut or something. But now yeah. it's like our scars show up through, you know, in our mind or something from emotional damage that you would repress, I get or get on social media. Yeah. Well, in this country, it's more emotional. But think if, if a woman in the Middle East is accused of being a slut, or she said something, you know, in reference to something that culturally is unacceptable for women to say, like she's gonna get acid thrown in her face. She's gonna she's gonna be persecuted violently. So in America, we have the freedom to say, like, yeah, I mean, emotional emotional pain is just as difficult as physical pain. But there are around the world, there still are many repercussions, and around the world, there still are places where witches are hunted. You know, I remember when I did my original research, which was now 20 years ago, probably like when you were born. Um, and and I the like the last known witch burning that I could find was in 1996. So that's and I a year a before I was born. Yeah, and I believe it was a 10 year old child. Oh my God. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that in America stopped in the 1700s, but it's something that continued on for so long. And even after Salem, even though Salem was such a big thing, you know, um, a few years later in Connecticut, no, not in Connecticut, I forget where, but like it continued on. It just kind of stopped right around the 1700s throughout Europe and throughout the United States. Um, so there, yeah. Well, is there anything in your research that you've come across that that might in your mind think that there might be something that is of truth to a lot of the stories of these witches and stuff too? Because like, I know people do like um, certain things around the house, burning sage or doing types of things that I consider witchcraft. I consider any of that, the Reiki energy healing, even though there are people in my family that practice it, that's just as a joke, it's witchcraft to me, but that gets offensive to a lot of the people. Like I went to a, like, you know, a shop that happens to do with all things psychic ability wise mm -hmm. and everything. And I was just looking around. I was like, a lot of this just seems like witchcraft. It was like a joke. Right. And they took offense to it because of the fact of how clearly there's a part of history that I was not too keen on where they didn't really like witches. And it leads into this whole thing. Like there'll be people that'll bury something. They'll eat something for a certain thing. Or, you know, like you have black eyed peas or something at the end, like on new year's Eve to supposed mm -hmm. to be for money. That is, would, is there anything like that seems like the lighter side of witchcraft, but is there anything that's happened? I mean, we talk about cults and all these other things that happen today. Still, is there anything in history that might've been actual witchcraft that you've come across where you're like, that's really unexplained. Like David Copperfield did some insane shit that I can't <laughs> explain. So I'm like, is this magic? Um, yes, yeah, certainly. So if you go back through history, um, into the early middle ages, um, that's really the first time you find that um, soothsayers, which I mean, anyone who's taken like high school English knows what a soothsayer is, basically like a fortune teller. Um, Constantine, after his conversion, um, and I forget what year it is, what year it happened, but um, the early AD, it was in the second century uh, AD, and he outlaws soothsaying at that point. So that, as far as I know, is kind of the first time you see like magic not being allowed, you know? And it's funny because we think about this now and you go to a shop and I actually saged right before I started this because I just, I'm not really into like, I'm not really that into like witchy stuff, but yeah, I think Reiki is awesome. I'll sage my apartment, like, especially if I get annoyed with something or if I'm trying to sit down and have a conversation with you and I just kind of want to clear my stuff and my energy I, out of the room. I believe energies are a thing, but I think it's a, a sense of empathic between people. There's just a sense you get, but that a lot of people ignore, like, you know, good vibes, good energy, bad energy. But yeah. I just, I hate the smell of sage. That's why I have an issue with it. <laughs> For me, it's like, this is like a candle that says calm and serene. It's honestly just making me even more angry. Like, but um, 
when we talk about like demons are, are our thing, that's just something we're very, very passionate about. People go ghost hunting yeah. adventures and trips. Like you never know what happens when you die. Yeah. Um, witches, it seems like it's this thing that's like, I mean, I've heard, seen cartoons when I was a kid, like Scooby-Doo and they had the whole, they had the whole witch that introduced what a Wiccan mm -hmm. was into my head and everything. And I'm like, wow, like that's a bloodline that still kind of comes down because some people yeah. are known to have this sense of energy that they can give off. Was that maybe what they were sensing? Was that back in the day, it wasn't all riding on brooms, but maybe you got a bad feeling about somebody or somebody gave off a bad energy and evil energy where it was like, they're doing something to try and channel that power. It seems like that's what we're trying to do 24 seven is channel our power. Yeah. And I think it was, not, I don't want to say political, but so if you were, especially if you're a woman, because most of the victims of witch hunts have been women, um, not so much in Salem, a lot, like a high amount of men were accused of witchcraft in Salem, which was rare. That sort of sets it apart from other areas. But specifically, if you were a woman who was argumentative, who didn't really conform to societal norms, who was just weird, um, you are going to be labeled a witch, especially like if I'm walking by your house and you kind of mutter under your breath and I catch it and I'm like, what did you just say to me? And we go at it and an hour later, one of your sheep dies. You're going to be like, she's a witch. That was her. She killed my sheep, you know, and it sounds really stupid today. But back then, these were all farmers who that mattered, you know, if one of yeah. your sheep or your cows or something died, that was your livelihood. So it was a, it was a major attack. And uh, so you generally, and the first few witches that were accused in Salem did have that, that, um, you know, like Sarah Good was known as someone who's just like really strange and really argumentative. And she just didn't get along with so many people. Um, she was one of the first three witches. Tatuba, who was the first witch to be accused, she was a slave. Um, and Sarah Osborne, who was the third witch to be accused, was actually just a bedridden elderly woman. But she had married, she had paid off her husband's endangered servitude. And to the Puritans back then, that was, you know, scandalous. So those three women fit the mold of what would be considered um, like the typical witch, you know, of that era. Um, and then I, uh, Bridget Bishop kind of fit that mold. She was a very argumentative person, but then you start from there, you start getting these relatively prominent people who, you know, they had money, they had stature, they had respect. You bring up um, the minister, George Burroughs. He was a minister. Like he was. That's he how was he could recite the prayer. Right. And I mean, he was accused and executed. And it's actually his story is really interesting because um, I read it somewhere. Um, basically, he he was a minister in Maine. So just a little background for me. I grew up in Boston. I grew up probably a half hour from Salem. So that's probably where a lot of like my connections to yeah. all of this story comes. Um, also, I'm definitely like a woman in today by today's standard that if I lived back then, I definitely would have been accused of witchcraft. And that's very Look, I mean, in my mind, you know, everyone today on social media that goes by astrology or something could be accused of witchcraft. I actually, my cousin pointed out to me that over my door, my mom had put, um, it's a wood piece but it's like a red blood spatter but it's paint but it's supposed to be from the firstborn child or something like that so it's supposed to be some type of religious thing that would be witchcraft immediately in my head i was like that's voodoo and like my, my cousin's like it's not voodoo i'm like that's what i consider witchcraft but like having a spooky tree that's dead in october in front of your house could be considered witchcraft if you anybody back in the day could easily be like point fingers and blame. yeah yeah but i i feel like me personally I'm, I'm just a really outspoken person. I have a really strong personality and I feel like I have the perfect personality to, to get people angry enough to, so I think that's where I feel that really deep connection to all these people where I'm like, God, if that were me, like, yeah, I would have been burned at the stake in the heartbeat, like, you know, um, and so 
back to George Burroughs. So he was a minister in Maine and he came down to Salem. Salem, Salem has, it's really interesting because the Salem that we talk about um, for witchcraft is not the Salem that exists. There were two basically separate Salems. There was Salem town and Salem village. And all of this happened in Salem village, which today is Danvers, Massachusetts. Um, and, but Salem sort of, that's where all the museums are. That's where all the folklore is. That's kind of where, you know, all the stuff happens. Um, but none of, a lot of the people who were accused eventually were from Salem town, but the original place happened in what is today Danvers Mass. And um, basically Salem village was trying to gain their own autonomy from Salem, uh, the town and politically, they just wouldn't let it happen. And then the surrounding towns like Topsfield and Beverly, you know, if someone had um, property that abutted to yours and they were from Topsfield, they'd be like, oh, this, this field is mine. And they would go to court and take it. And because Salem Village wasn't autonomous in its own way, it couldn't really fight the laws in any real way. And the actual town was very unwilling to help them. And um, in 1687, I believe, they were given the right to start their own church. And there's there was just a weird thing where they just, I think because they, they politically couldn't feel like they had any real power, um, they used the court systems a lot for very stupid things. They were just a very litigious society on their own. Um, and basically they, I'm trying to like get my train of thought so I don't screw this up. Um, basically they started their own church. They brought in one minister, uh, didn't like him, stopped paying him and kicked him out. George Burroughs was the second minister that came in. They stopped paying him. He stopped performing services and eventually left, went back to Maine. And the reason he wound up becoming accused is um, there was a frontier war that broke out in Maine and a lot of refugees would, I mean, they're called refugees, but they're just people from Maine came down into that area of Salem to get away from the war that was happening with Native Americans. And he was, he, his congregation were a lot of the refugees. So when they came back into Salem and everything started blowing up with all these accusations, people from his own congregation in Maine started accusing him. And because he was already kind of public enemy number one um, in Salem, because he stopped performing, because he stopped getting paid, he stopped performing the and church services. Convince they could convince the people that he was practicing witchcraft because he left his religion. He left his teachings of it too. Right. But he was still a minister up in Maine at that time. He just left Salem, but there was so much vitriol and anger surrounding that, you know, they had from 1687 to 1692, they had four different ministers, all contentious relationships with the town and the minister. And actually the accusation started with Samuel Paris, who was the fourth minister, his daughter and his niece started accusing people first. So it's really interesting how it's, that works. It's it's funny how the dynamic of people really hasn't changed from back then either. The fact of like relationships, if you make a bad relationship, somebody could blackball you all around town to the point where everyone thinks this one way of you from information. And that's why like I tell people, when you get information from something, like they consider podcasts form of like news or media, I'm not that at all. I'm just trying to hear and sort out information through my own understanding. But everyone looks up a movie, looks up the review for it, and is like, ah, that movie apparently is crap. It's got a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. Next thing you know, like Norbit, for instance, that movie has the worst Rotten Tomatoes score, but I freaking love it. But so many people look up the review and not want to watch it. Like, you see the score on this thing? Same thing with people. If you start c criminalizing somebody because they left your church, moved to a different one and practiced somewhere else, you would feel betrayed. You would feel like, wow, this person, I thought, you know, we had a connection. We had a bond. You know what? I'm going to tell them he's a witch. We're going to burn him at the stake. But imagine being that person so convicted with anger that you couldn't see past the honest truth. And you burn somebody, even when they're able to pass your test, like pass, like, it's like going to a DUI checkpoint, you do your one legged, say your ABCs backwards, and you're but you are drunk. 
and then they're like, we're still taking you to jail. You're like, but I fucking won your game. And now you're telling me I'm going to like, how many cases like that had happened where someone had passed the witch trials as proving they're not, but they were just like, look, people want to show and we yeah. got to do this. Yeah. And it, essentially that's, I mean, throughout history, that's all that the witch hunts were, were basically the show and, and vindication for things that um, people felt slighted by. And for Puritans, it was, it was like, a, it was a weird bloodlust. And I think because the Puritan religion was so oppressive, you know, I mean, all these accusations started from, you know, like I said, Betty Paris, Samuel Paris's daughter, she was nine years old. His niece was 11 years old, Abigail Williams, which if you've ever read The Crucible, Abigail Williams gets a really nasty edit in that whole story. She basically, the play ends with her basically becoming a prostitute. And I mean, this girl was 11 years old when all this started out, you know? So like Henry Miller really did her very dirty, um, but, or rather Arthur Miller, sorry. Um, and, you know, and then there was like another 12 year old girl, uh, Ann Putnam, who was like the third one to accuse. And then there was a 17 year old, um, Elizabeth Hubbard. She was the fourth one to accuse. And these were teenage girls. And there are many stories that basically say one of the older girls wanted, the reason it happened was one of the older girls um, wanted to find out who her husband was gonna be. So she did like a fortune telling spell and you know basically made a makeshift crystal ball to find out who her husband was going to be and somehow got spooked and that's where the afflictions which is what they call you know being bewitched started and i it's very clear and a lot of people call it out that like a lot of these girls were just doing it for attention and after the execution started a lot of like they not that they recanted anything because they never did. I think it was more dangerous for them to try and recant than it was to just keep going with the game, but it did start out as a game. And one of the girls is quoted as saying, you know, I'm just doing this for sport. Um, it was funny, it was teenage girls. And because there was so much political turmoil and so much just um, personal turmoil between neighbors and stuff like that, it just exploded onto a level that was unbelievable i mean i've read different numbers but somewhere between 142 and 169 people were accused of witchcraft in salem and most of them were not even from salem you know the original like 25 were from salem um and then everybody else was from andover or other places what were the uh tests besides um you know throwing them in water and seeing if they sink or float what i know there was one about needles i think so in salem they didn't really do that um the they did one of the uh men giles corey was pressed to death uh they were trying to get him to confess and so they started placing stones on top of him until oh. he would that's really like one of the only like torture um one of the only like instances of torture that was used um honestly just being jailed um in the 1600s was probably torture enough i mean these people like lived in their own feces that with rats and rotting food and there was a hundred people in one jail cell they were they were chained up you know um you said pressed to death like i'm thinking like i talk about my anxiety feels like an elephant sitting on my chest but this literally this person had rocks placed on top of them and so they were crushed yeah boulders yeah and in what? effort to save his soul what oh, and he was he was i mean this he was a prominent figure in the town he wasn't some schmo he was just kill your mayor. Yeah, I did. He was a witch. It's like, why? Yeah. Because he didn't cut his grass nor yeah. you know, he was practicing with spells. And it really brings up to the point you said like it became a bit of a game, which was mm -hmm. weird because I went to a Toys R Us one time and they have a Ouija board in there and it's ages seven and up. Yeah. Kids do the dumbest things for attention. Oh yeah. Like yeah. it's 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 known that, you know, there was a thing um came out during Halloween time kind of fits around the witch conversation a little bit mm -hmm. um but people poisoning candy treats 
There oh, were yeah. kids that were sticking razor blades inside of their candies and saying, oh, I found this in my candy. Mm-hmm. And it was a cry for attention. Mm-hmm. Nobody in that whole entire town thought to question, like, are they just doing this for attention or are they actually like this? But it was the mindset of you fear something that could be powerful and yeah. that could put you into slavery in, in a sense. Yeah. And people did question it. There were people, uh, John Proctor, who was eventually executed as well. He was the first person to be like, I think he said something like, uh, put them upon the whipping post and I bet you the affliction stop or that's a very poor quote, but um, because his servant was one of the afflicted girls and he was like, "Uh, I'm going to beat the bag out of you if you keep saying this stuff. And all of a sudden she was like, I'm fine. Um, but then she was accused as a witch because she stopped playing the game and she wound up uh, turning over John Proctor and his wife, Elizabeth, who were, John Proctor was executed, Elizabeth was in jail, pregnant, so she wound up living. Um, but also in jail, like in those jail conditions, pregnant, you know, like it was, it was not like, they, it was just a terrible situation. And eventually I believe even the governor's wife was accused of witchcraft. And at that point, that's when the governor was like, all right, no more of this, yeah. we're done. Because it wasn't just, it wasn't just like concentrated into a town. Like um, the governor was involved and there's, there is like some interesting facts about um, where Massachusetts was legally at the time, because legally, they didn't have the right so this all happened in the colonial times and so we still operated under the laws of england and at the time england had sort of taken away any of our legal proceedings and uh, this man william phipps who became the new governor was sent with a new charter and so it took a really long time these all these trials actually happened not necessarily like under proper legal examination based on even English laws. Like no one had a defense attorney. There was no prosecutors. There were just these um, elite men. I think there was like seven or nine men that were appointed as judges and they asked the questions and they determined who was guilty and who wasn't. Um, And uh, there was a lot of usage of spectral evidence, which was basically me saying, I woke up in the middle of the night and you were you know, at the foot of my bed and then, you know, the next day my cow died or, you know, so-and-so came to me and said, um, Mary killed him three years ago. And that was a lot of the evidence that they used. And it was very much cautioned against in most of the um, legal and most of the legalities against witchcraft. Um, But this is where it's interesting. To argue that spectral evidence is fake because Satan is, God created Satan and witchcraft is a tool of Satan. So to actually say that spectral evidence is false is to say that magic and Satan don't exist and therefore God is wrong and doesn't exist. So even just to say that all these crazy stories that they were saying would go against God. So they had like they, they're reasoning for believing these stories, no matter how insane and how um, false they were, um, was actually to go against God in, in, in Puritan religion. The covenant with God means you just do everything God tells you to do. Religion was so powerful back then. Anything seen against it, you were put, I mean, there was a guy, um, St. Martin or whatever his name was, that posted his theses, I think his name was St. Martin. He posted a thesis on the church that was exposing the church of all these crimes they had committed, and they had him placed on house arrest. Oh, yeah. And it, they did the same thing for Galileo for trying to study the stars and explain mm-hmm. that we weren't the center of the universe, that actually we were like the third, fourth planet from the sun was mm-hmm. his way of thinking that actually we revolved around this thing. They let him in house arrest until he died. They would yeah. stop food from going, people delivering food to his house to keep him alive because yeah. he wouldn't leave. They would, the church was seen as this thing that if you brought up a question, you needed to be kind of isolated. And I mean, it's still kind of evolved into what a little bit today with that. It's like, yeah, you can't come to here anymore because, you know, that whole thing. But when you lead into somebody, like I like to put myself in the aspect of that person or whatever that person was experiencing. So I'm trying to think, imagine in the middle of the night, you know, you're getting ready to go to bed. Somebody comes to your house, knocking on your door, pitchforks and torches, pitchforks and torches. Yeah. 
and they want to ring your daughter up yeah for witchcraft the fifth no the fourth witch accused was a four-year-old it was sarah good's four-year-old daughter dorothy um so yeah it was it's pretty insane how how deep this thing went and um and like i said it it was a very bizarre time politically for that that part of the world um and it just i mean obviously where we were founded by puritans especially here i mean you, you hear about like massachusetts and the puritanical like weird stuff that we do anyways um but I also just I think it's important to note that like most of these people lived relatively normal lives and you know as much as Puritan culture didn't allow for certain things I think most of them you know kind of like religion today I think there are people who are religious because they go to church every Sunday and they follow the tenets and they try to do the right thing but they also understand that like you screw up you you're human you're this and you're that and I think most of those people were like that but then you have that other uglier side who people who weaponize religion, you know, and I think this was a really it, which hunts in throughout history were the weaponizing of religion against people who just could not defend themselves. Otherwise, you know, it's it's the ultimate ultimate civil rights issue as far as I'm concerned. And I think that's what draws me to be interested in it. There was a, people think like everybody was so religious back in the day. A lot of it happened to do on the fact that once you got involved into it, if you didn't show up and miss a day, they started thinking that you were practicing in some type of satanic art. And yeah. a lot of it was a, a lot of fear-based things. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting is that when you look at somebody that might have something about them or have some type of thing and you accuse them of witchcraft it's not really out of anger it's way out of fear looking through the salem witch trials you probably really realize like this isn't somebody just attacking someone because they were pissed off or might, there might have been some cases but it seemed like more of a fear aspect that it was so much easier like at the at the start of it, it happened to be all fear people were afraid of this witchcraft this spell this magic this power and then eventually it became this flag that they could fly to get anybody out of their way which yeah. became this little self-independent thing of oh i don't like my neighbor so i'm going to accuse him of this and that'll get rid of my issue with this it's like right i yeah. mean it's i understand from an i guess an uneducated point of view the fact of like what it would be like to be like oh we don't know a whole bunch about you know humanity and lives so it's so much easier to be able to think like that's why they did that they just weren't educated but then when you are in this time thinking about how horrible that is looking back you're like it's it's really really like a lot of pieces of shit and i mean but it's it's so much deeper than that it's more on the lines of people not understanding and not being accepting of something that is different yeah and before salem um there were other outbreaks of witchcraft and witch trials um massachusetts and in new england um and probably other colonies as well and they would execute like two or three people just to kind of make the point um and then and then it would die down and what makes salem different is that you know so the first witch in quotes accused was uh tatuba who was samuel paris's reverend samuel paris's slave um and obviously she was a good person to accuse because she was from the west indies um there's a book called The Devil in Massachusetts written by Marion Starkey, who it's was written in the late 40s. And it's 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 very historically accurate, but it's also she took a lot of liberties to tell a story. And in that book, she basically says that um, obviously Tatuva was like into voodoo and things because she you know, was from the West Indies and she was a slave and none of that's true. There's no evidence to prove that that was true. Um, so the story and the folklore that goes along with Salem is based on a lot of BS. Um, but basically this woman was accused and she confessed, was not never executed by the way, because she confessed. And she said that there were nine witches in Salem. And that statement of there are nine witches in Salem is what set off the hysteria because they're like, well, 
They're among We've us. been through this before, and usually you get like two or three that are, you know, you get like 10 that are accused and two or three that we find guilty. We execute them, the problem goes away. Um, and this woman said nine. So now they're searching for nine, but in that nine, all of a sudden there's 10 more, there's 11 more, there's 15 more, there's 20 more. And the number just swelled to almost 200, you know? So it, I was also going to ask you, what would you think was the reason why that she was accused of you, if not the voodoo part of it, but like, if that's not real, why do you think, because immediately I start thinking in the mind of, he was fooling around with her. She, you know, she was going to tell or he was going to seen as found out or something. So she, he accused her of witchcraft to get rid of the issue. The young girls accused her of witchcraft. So basically, um, uh, Betty and Abigail started acting really weird, call it being afflicted. And, you know, they would act like they were being pinched and poked and, and like go into these fits and, I still, I would love to find something that really like fully describes what the fit was. Was it like a panic attack? Was it like, I, that's the part that I have trouble with a little bit. Um, but when they were pressed, there was a neighbor of theirs named Mary Sibley, who uh, the Paris's, uh, the Reverend and his wife went to a church meeting one night and she had Tatuba and her husband, John uh, Indian, bake a rye bread with the girl's urine in it and they fed it to the dog because that was going to point to who was afflicting them and all this happened and then the girls were pressed for to accuse somebody and so they accused the tuba because well she was there and it made the most amount of sense um and samuel paris didn't actually like point to witchcraft initially he was like whoa wait a minute you know like First of all, this bread, this, I think they called it the witch's cake or something like that, um, yeah, that you guys made is witchcraft in and of itself. So like, what the hell are you thinking? But like, let's not get crazy. You know, like we're still trying to figure out if these girls are just sick, if they have like something biologically wrong with them, they were bringing in doctors, things like that. Um, and then two girls across town started to present the same symptoms and then accused the other two women. Um, so it really start it really did start with the kids making these accusations and people believing them you know you would think that kids are known to tell stories and a lot of it is really dramatized up you would think that they would know that back then based on like i saw a chupacabra they went hunting for a chupacabra next thing you know after a day it's like this isn't real you would get the it's like the boy who cried wolf the whole story kind of imprinted a lot of us as kids to not be like that when we grow older that nobody will believe you at one point but in this case they believed and people were put to death which really brings into an insight imagine if that wouldn't have happened those girls wouldn't have, if that's where maybe that initial start happened with witchcraft. But imagine if it shifted a whole different way where kids in the middle of a street um, gets hit with something and a person comes over and heals that person, that witchcraft scene in this whole new light. I had a comedian on here named Steve Cantwell, and he was Mormon for the longest time. And they have a magic oil that they keep in like a little lamp. And um, what happens is you can't use the oil on yourself. But you're supposed to say this magic prayer and then put this oil on something. You can bring somebody back to life. Um, so he had a, a scenario uh, before he wasn't Mormon anymore where he was at his house and his daughter's heart, um, she had a seizure. But at the time, they didn't know because he wasn't too advanced into modern medicine. When you're Mormon, you don't really research all that. You kind of leave everything to God. And she, you know, blacked out, eyes rolling, heart stopped, no pulse. And he runs and his wife's like, go get the magic oil. And then so he grabs his magic oil and puts it onto her head. And next thing you know, she's back up. And so they called 911. Next thing you know, an ambulance comes and takes the girl and the doctor's like, he's like, tell me what happened. And he's explaining this whole story of magic Mormon oil. And the doctor's like holding the clipboard up, like trying not to laugh. <laughs> but it's like, it's that, that could be imprinted in your mind. Imagine you're questioning faith. And then that scenario happens. You're going to have stored faith. You're not even going to question yeah. it anymore. It brought your daughter back. But it was, it's from this like 
you could have zigged, could have zagged scenario. Like we went the complete horrible, tragic, murderous way with mm-hmm. witchcraft. Imagine if that could have shifted and we wouldn't be at where we're at now, where now everyone's trying to be a witch. Everyone would have been like looking to them as guidance. You would think you had this thing around you instead of being afraid of it, be its friend. Like yeah. if anything, you, you know, you, your kid breaks an arm, you, kids mostly died of infection. I mean, living to 11 years old, like you were saying before, that's like 30. That's, right. that's, 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 a, that's, that's a good age back then. Yeah. And imagine like your kid's sick and somebody can heal them. But how much of that was done in secret with the fact that witches would have to sneak you know, go under all these things and try and get through the house without nobody looking, you know, by cover of night and then heal your kid or something. You can't even give them a praise. You can't even give them thank you and tell the town this amazing deed they did because if they did, they would be put to death. Yeah. And two, two kind of interesting things. One, you, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head because not so much in Salem, but in other places, midwives were generally accused um, because they were also like, they weren't doctors, but they were people, you would go to them for herbal remedies. Um, they kind of, they didn't necessarily dabble in witchcraft, but they they were more of like the natural healing and they kind of just had a deeper connection to certain things. So oftentimes they were the most accused because of um, the fact that they, they were able to cure things without medicine, if you will. Um, but in Northampton, Massachusetts, shortly after the Salem witch trials, um, they started having the same issue where teenagers were afflicted and the minister there uh, called it a religious revival. And so basically what they took it as was a positive thing that these people were not afflicted by Satan. They were actually uh, like being, the spirit of God was like bringing down on them and they were like having a religious awakening and so it it really is about perspective sometimes because you know what happens in one place which becomes you know the death of 25 people in another place is revered as you know god is with us and god is um making our children more religious and stronger and things like that so it really is all about perspective and how you choose to view the affliction in the first place what have you found through your research personally with this? Not something that was the most tragic that you've, you know, that that's been known in history, but something that you found that hit you deeper in the in your heart when you read across something so tragic. What is one thing that comes to your mind? Um I just I think that. For me, throughout my life personally, I felt very unseen and unheard in a lot of ways. Um, And I think that's the thing that I identify with the most with all of these people is that they didn't have a fighting chance. No one was going to hear them, you know? And there was this idea of like, you had to lie to save yourself and you had to tell this thing that wasn't, you had to say, I'm a witch and so is this person, this person, and this person to save yourself essentially. And you didn't, you know, the people who died were the people who chose to just never do that and to maintain their innocence. And um, there's something like very deep for me there that, that the idea that to lie to get out of trouble or to just be fearful of never being seen or heard or never being able to defend yourself in any real way, that speaks to me very, very deeply, you know, and I kind of took on this research as a way to maybe vindicate people, to educate people that these were just honest, good people and that they deserve, they deserve to be known and they deserve to be heard even this, this much later. Um, It wasn't until 2001 that Massachusetts exonerated all the witches and said that they were absolutely innocent, you know, so it's taken that long from 1692 to 2001, it took that long for the state to actually admit that this was a huge error in judgment, you know? And so I just feel like it's important. Yeah. When I messaged you, I mean, this was the one thing I wanted to, I told you, I really wanted to talk about this, the factor of like, it's not taught 
like at all, barely in our education system. The schools don't want to focus on this. They focus on the things that are like, oh, Independence Day. Why do we have that? That's nice and all, but like I've learned enough about the Declaration. I've learned enough about the Boston Tea Party. They focus on it for way too long. I get it's a major part of our history. It's a turning point, but there's some other stuff in there that should show you like, hey, gain the perspective thing it's all about the seeing a different perspective we fall so convicted into a, a, a right away decision without understanding the full basis of things and we still make that repeat as much as we talk about how much we've advanced as people we're still making the same mistakes that we did back in history they're just in a new form yeah nothing ever changes and that's what i love about history is that i can look back a thousand two thousand years ago and read something that happened and it's still applicable to the mistakes we make today. We have not changed as people, as humans. You know, we talk about evolving and changing. And I, I studied archaeology and I studied evolution a fair amount or the evolution of humans. And we haven't changed in 10,000 years. Nothing physically, we have not evolved. So we need to consistently look backwards to understand our present. And I love to do that. And I really love to just apply history to what happens today, because I think, you know, like when I, we first started talking and I brought up cancel culture, a lot of people will disagree with me about that, but you know, these are things that like, because I study history, I can look at these things happening today and understand how damaging they can become and, and how they don't, they're not real progress. You know, and if we want real progress, we have to have different conversations and we do have to be honest about mistakes. And that's something that is, I think, is a human condition. It's really hard to admit that we don't know the answers. And so we make the answers up. I look you know? at cancel culture is kind of the same thing, not as severe as the witch trials, but the same thing when the governor's wife got accused. Once it hits on your doorstep and affects something that involves into your life is when you're like, I don't believe in that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. People are more than happy to cancel anything that isn't what they agree with. But once it hits onto them and affects them in their life, they have a different opinion on what it is, which makes you really realize into something is what I take into life a little bit. If I'm going to get upset about something, is it because I just want to get upset or is it because it actually upsets me? Is it something that I can just do because it might give me, we're all looking for a shot of fame. We're all looking to be the thing that's going to be talked about, the thing that's going to be this. And I think that's the wrong way of thinking about it. I think, you know, as famous people are talking about now, it's not what it's cracked up to be. And I'm hoping in the future, it's not, it's, it's not going to be this thing that everybody's reaching for because we've grown as a wolf of Wall Street society where it's like you need to step on the throat of the person beside you to climb to the top. And there's an equal way of everyone reaching the top. It's going to take time and it takes a hell of a lot more work, but it's so much more beneficial. It's like saying you did something, but then actually doing it. Like you feel better and you have more confidence when you say, yeah, I can't believe I did that rather than saying, yeah, I watched that. I read that book three times. I, I'm way ahead of you. It's like we more want to brag than we want to actually do the thing. And history is just this conglomerate of mis misperceptions misunderstandings i mean there's so much about it that is so freaking awesome and a lot of it doesn't get spread and a lot of it gets thrown into some warped perception whether it's a wikipedia article or whether it's some tv show or something like scooby-doo when i was a kid i mean it showed witchcraft in there was a guy who was a warlock and he was practicing witchcraft and like kind of leads into the pagan thing. And there was a woman that was a healer, but she was accused and killed. And then they find out that she was actually like they, they were fighting for her chance or whatever to she wasn't a witch. She's actually a right. Wiccan. And then they find out she actually was a witch when she gets brought back from the dead. And you're like, holy shit, it's all a lie. I was right the whole time. And it's like this needs that needs to be educated a little bit more than what yeah. my brain was understanding. Thank God I listened to my buddy's podcast before yeah. you came on because yeah. I was coming in with like cinderella's real the pumpkin all of it it's all and it's like it's something that really hits on a deeper level when it comes to yeah. the aspect of intelligence and humanity and how far we've evolved yeah and to talk about what they teach in schools so the salem witch trials led to something that um they were kind of the catalyst for us saying the separation of church and state. And, and also a couple of years later, um, this man, Thomas Maurer wrote a book about, so this was 
the first big American cover up the Salem witch trials. Like it happened. And then hold on, I'm gonna say something that's gonna be offended to a lot of people before the uh moon landing. Yes, before the moon landing. This was the original cover up. Um and um so basically they they covered everything up and they were like nope that that didn't happen because we all look like assholes um and so this man thomas Maurer wrote about it they burned the books they took him to court um he was actually um it, like he, he won in court and so the story was told and that was actually the first win for the freedom of the press um in in our country and Bathsheba Pope, who was one of the accusers in the Salem witch trial, was uh, Benjamin Franklin's aunt. And so that's how he discovered light. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but he, uh, I think that sat with him, you know, it's said that like 100 million living people have a connection to the Salem witch trials, you know, because of, of these were the original members of the United States. And um, so from this, I think it sort of sparked something, probably mostly in Benjamin Franklin to say, we don't want these things to happen again. And England has a very rich history of witch hunting. The most notorious witch hunter in history was a man named Matthew Hopkins um, from England. And he, he, Claimed himself the Witchfinder General. And um, so eventually, when I sort of round out all my research for Salem, I'd like to go to England and then Germany, because Germany has the highest rate of witch burnings ever. And it's estimated that like 100,000 people were accused throughout history and 50,000 people were killed. So, I mean, these are pretty big numbers, you know, if you really think about it. And, um, but yeah it's such an important piece of American history. If you really kind of tie it to how close it is to the American revolution. And we sort of have it in this weird bubble of like an isolated incident in this one small town where you don't realize that the entire Massachusetts Bay colony was involved and the governor was involved and, and the King was involved. And, um, it, and, it sort of became the catalyst for the American Revolution or parts of the American Revolution and, and what we have in our Bill of Rights today. And it, it does need to be taught more and it does need to be a more prominent piece of history. And I think because the word witch is attached to it, people are really scared to do that. Even that word nowadays, it's kind of making a shift. You say witch now, people think like, you know, crushing up powders, mortar and pestle style, a form of alchemy, or, you know, you're doing some type of chant or even an Instagram thing. If you would have said that word back in the day, it would have been like knives to your ears. People would have immediately took attention. It's like screaming fire in a theater. People immediately start going, what? Like, you know, start paying attention to things. What's really interesting about history is that there is the freedom of information, but there are some things where they don't want to be found there are some things where it's like wait a minute is that true like i'm a mm -hmm. big proprietor of like any person that has ran to be president has not been a good fit to be president i believe it's the people that don't want that position at all i think benjamin franklin would have made an insane president i thought oh, yeah. he would have been amazing but then something comes out like the fact that he had uh, skeletons in his basement but then you hear that and you're like was he a killer well, no, he was doing research, but he happened to be taking bodies from the morgue to do his research. Mm -hmm. it's Which all, is classic. Yeah, it's all literally leading down to the whole idea of Frankenstein. Like, there's a yeah. way because nobody can believe that this, after this, we're just gone. And yeah. if that's a shift from maybe an afterlife, whether it's a heaven or a hell, but what I like to think of is the fact of like a spiritual thing where you want to go visit Germany where all these killings had happened. You're going to feel the presence of that when you enter that place. You're going to feel the lives. Like it's like entering, um, what's that freaking insane asylum? Oh God, I'm going to say Shawshank Redemption and that's not an actual place. 
what's the that's the mental uh arc not arkham that's arkham. batman that's batman that's batman because batman's right behind me so arkham's the yeah i know i was about. staring at i was staring <laughs> at the poster um but there's like a, a famous uh it's not azkaban that's harry potter that still leads into witchcraft um alcatraz okay alcatraz yeah, yeah. going there and at nighttime, you're telling me that you're not going to sense anything. Yeah. There's going to be stained memories in there. And I think that's why we're all kind of perceiving something is like, you can't just make a finished conclusion that the end is the end. You can't make a finished conclusion that this is that without truly understanding and seeing it for yourself. Taking yeah. a review, for instance, you know, if you listen to a review, did you make that assertion yourself or you're going off someone else's words? Well, people are known to be genetically different. People are known to have different inspirations, different things that they like and different things that they hate. It's about finding that yourself, getting your own perspective and getting your own mm -hmm. grasp on life, which I think is very important. Yeah. And it's something that we've definitely, I don't know that we've ever had it to be fair. Like, you know, we talk about how everybody's becoming sheep and this and that, and you hear that through, I, I'm 41 years old, so I have a couple of years on you, but um, realistically, like throughout my life, um, I've always kind of heard the same thing. And when I was in my early twenties and I was a lot more ideal, idealistic, I was like, yeah, this is a real problem. Now I'm 40 and I'm like, yeah, that problem was a big problem when I was 20 and it's still a big problem. And, you know, and not necessarily the issues that we can change and we can, you know, the, the social issues that we face today of like racism, sexism, all the isms that make life a real drag. Um, those, I don't know that they're solvable because they've existed for so long throughout history. Um, but I do think that like having really honest conversations and recognizing that a lot of this is just the human condition, you know, and so we can get, we can understand each other more rather than leading with hate. If we led with compassion and understanding, it would maybe have a completely different outcome much like in Salem they led with hate and in Northampton they led with you know positivity and religion and the two outcomes were so completely different and I think if you take those two pieces of history and really reflect upon them you can see that perspective changes everything and the way that you try to approach a situation changes everything it's easier to burn it down than it is to build it up yeah because that's harder you know it's harder to be a piece of garbage than it is to be a good person or it's easier rather to be, yeah. that's what I meant. I think it's easier to be a piece of garbage yeah. um, than it is and to be a good person. Cause that's work. That's hard. Yeah. You know? Well, then we have that quote that nothing, nothing ever uh, worth doing is easy. Nothing ever is, you know, but we don't ever want to take that into account. We want an easy, cheap way, whatever makes, and I understand coming from a perspective of like, just trying to live a life. Like, you know, people talk about, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? It's like, because I'm just trying to keep my head on my own shoulders right now. I'm trying to keep my head above water. Yeah. I think with more people thinking in the mindset of people, not, not outrageous acts, but just in a way of empathy. It's going to lead to a better understanding of the world. It's going to lead to a better and hopefully more warm one. But it seems like every time we get right to where there might be that shift, there might be that change, we just give up and fall back into this old thing. We got to yeah. a point where it looked like society was going to change with how all these riots and everything was happening and everything was getting really insane. And the next thing you know, something comes out and then it's dead silent. And now it's starting back up again. I'm like, you guys are getting right to the finish line, then fucking hitting the rewind on the tape and backing up. It's like, let's yeah. go keep going forward if you're going to go with it. Yeah. And 2020 is a really interesting year. And I'm very thankful that it happened because it probably wouldn't have sparked me kind of coming back to this topic, which is such a passion of mine. But 2020 is the year of reckoning. And I, you know, on January 2nd, I listened to this woman who um, does Reiki and astrology. Cause yeah, I'm into the woo-woo. If you're into like anything witchcraft, you're probably a little bit into woo-woo stuff anyways. But I, I'm very measured in what I believe. But um, she said that 2020 was a year of reckoning and something big was coming. And when coronavirus hit and all this other stuff started to hit, I was like, wow. That was so on the money and astrologers have been predicting this for at least the last six years. And um, it's all in your perspective because I see a lot of people being like, this is the worst year ever. This is 
crap, this is this, this is that. And I'm looking at it as probably the best year of my life because it's, you know, it's been a difficult year in a lot of ways, but it's also forced me to kind of reevaluate my value system and reprioritize what I put first and, and understand that like, I can't be, I can't do everything. I can do anything, but I can't do everything. And it, it really has forced me to slow down and, and look to my own past and really understand certain things about myself and why I do things. And, and it has really reignited a lot of things that I've been passionate about in my life that I just kind of keep pushing away because real life gets in the way. And I think if we look at, at this year and from that perspective, there's a lot to learn. And I think this is all happening because it is a lesson and you, you know, to bring it back to the Salem witch trials, like you want to talk about magic and miracles and all that stuff. Like it, it's, it exists. And actually religion has never said it doesn't exist. You know, these things happen because magic and miracles are real. And, and this is in a weird way, like this is, coming from someplace bigger than us to tell us that we have lessons to learn and it's time to learn them and to really understand and hopefully a lot of people get that message unfortunately a lot of people won't you know it's what i've always been asking everybody throughout the podcast a lot of people you listen to on podcasts talk about the bad part about coronavirus and i said what's the good part you pulled something out of it you found something across yourself you started up a company you did something uh changed something about your life you never thought would ever change and you found something inside of yourself usually that you Kind of neglected for a while because life, you know, just keep mm -hmm. it on this routine. We all got knocked out of a peg. And I'm glad that you picked up this and started getting into it because, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I appreciate talking to you. I'm really. Thank you. Me too. Very happy fun. you came on here and educated me a little bit about the Salem Witch Trials and your perspective on it as well, too. Can you tell people where they can find your links at your Instagram page? Yeah, so I'm still working on getting the website fully up, um, but on Instagram, I am the Witch Academic. Um, also, you can find me on Facebook at the Witch Academic, and probably in the next couple weeks to a month, you'll see the blog posts starting to come up. There's a lot of research. I have like six books in front of me right now, and I have like four more books waiting at the uh, library for me to pick up. That's all research that I'm doing for this. So it's going to be kind of a slow moving process to get information out to people, but um, you can find me there. And my goal is to kind of take each person and try and give them a story and, and try and give the most developed story I possibly can with all my research. I'll make sure I link everything in the description and thank you for listening to this episode of out of the blank podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.